You're listening to the Magnum version of the Savage Lovecast, www.savagelovecast.com. If you're stuck in a relationship quandary, or if you're looking for sexual harmony, Honestly, I don't know where to start this week. I could start with how Trump's efforts to gut Obamacare halting the Affordable Care Act's cost-sharing payments to insurers, that's going to result in not just fewer people having health care. It's not just going to disproportionately hurt people living in states that voted for Trump. It's also going to cost the federal government an additional $200 billion. More money spent, fewer people covered. No expenses too great, it seems. No suffering too extreme if it means obliterating the legacy of that black dude. And hey, Dems, listen to Harvard PhD candidate Clint Smith. He tweeted this weekend that Democrats should be running ads and running them right now, letting people know, particularly people in red states wearing red hats, that their health costs are going to be rising or they're going to be losing their health care because of Donald Trump. The worst thing that could happen is that Trump explodes health care, then runs a successful propaganda campaign to blame it on Obama, writes Smith. This isn't complicated. It's like Democrats have the playbook of exactly what Trump is going to do and are just staring at it doing nothing. Ah, don't do nothing, Democrats. Or or we could start with the piece in The New Yorker this morning, right when I was sitting down to record, about Vice President Mike Pence. Apparently, Donald Trump thinks it's hilarious that his VP wants to hang gay people. So here's hoping Robert Mueller indicts Pence along with Trump, Ivanka, Donald Jr., Jared, Rince, Steve-O, Bannon, and the rest of Vladimir Putin's hee-haw gang. Or we could start with the fact that California is on fire. An area larger than New York City has been destroyed. Forty people are known to be dead. Hundreds are missing. And the president of the United States has had fuck all to say about it. Or that the residents of Puerto Rico, U.S. citizens, are drinking water from contaminated streams and water pumped out of a hazardous waste site because the federal government's response has been so mismanaged. And we could link those two stories by pointing out that Donald Trump doesn't care about brown people or blue states. Or we could start with the fact that rates of sexually transmitted infections are skyrocketing. The big three, syphilis, gonorrhea, chlamydia, all way, way up. And yet the Trump administration plans to slash federal funding for treatment and prevention programs by nearly 20%. I can show you a chart that shows as funding decreases, STDs increase, Barbara Vanderpoel, the incoming president of the American STD Association, told the Daily Beast's Mandy Statmiller. It's overwhelmingly consistent, she went on. When the money was there, you see rates going down, down, down. The money goes away. You see rates going up, up, up. Or we could start with Donald Trump speaking at the Value Voters Summit last weekend. Trump was the first sitting president ever to speak at the annual event organized by an anti-LGBT hate group where Trump promised to make discriminating against LGBT Americans legal in all 50 states. It's currently legal in roughly half. And Trump had this to say as well. You know, we're getting near that beautiful Christmas season that people don't talk about anymore. <laughs> they don't use the word Christmas because it's not politically correct. Well, guess what? We're saying Merry Christmas again. I think Michael Che on Weekend Update on SNL had the best response to that. Dude, people say Merry Christmas all the time. My deli guy is Muslim, and he says Merry Christmas every time he makes me a ham sandwich. You know what? I don't 
want to say Merry Christmas anymore because I don't like that Trump supporters always want us to be specific when it's about stuff that's important to them. You know, it can't be happy holidays. It's got to be Merry Christmas. It can't be save the planet. It's got to be America first. But then when somebody wants to stand up for black people or gays or women, they're like, hey, wait a minute. What about everybody else? (laughs) So, you know what? So don't think of it as me saying happy holidays anymore. Think of it as me saying all holidays matter. Or I could start with Harvey Weinstein and malpredation and Me Too and how fucked up Twitter is. Or, still looking for a place to start this week's show, we could jump across an ocean and start with the Anglican Church in Australia, which donated $1 million to oppose marriage equality there. There, in Australia, where nearly 20% of Australian children live in poverty. Even if the hungry were fed, the sick cared for, the imprisoned visited, the naked clothed, not just in Australia, but all over the world. Even if Christians had accomplished... Everything Jesus specifically asked his followers to do, there would have to be better uses for whatever monies the church had left over than discriminating against same-sex couples. Or we could start with Google searches in conservative states. I hope you're sitting down. Turns out red state residents Google the most online sexual content. According to a study in the archives of sexual behavior highlighted this weekend by sex researcher and writer Justin Lay Miller. The most frequently Googled terms in places that think sex is for marriage and gay people are icky? Sex, gay sex, porn, XXX, free porn, and gay porn. So, looks like they're double dipping on the gay in Alabama. There is so much going on in the world, so much distressing shit going on in the world, that by the time I think about all the places I could start, all the terrible, no good, awful things happening right now, all the things I could rant about at the top of the show. I've run out of time to prepare a rant. And all I want to do is get to the questions and get to the conversations because that, unlike reading the news, is always a pleasure. Hello, Dan Savage and the tech savvy at risk youth. I'm a cis, gay, 26-year-old male living in a rural section of a southern state. I moved out of New York City over a year ago and haven't been laid since. I'm currently working with a drug screening business my family owns. Part of my job is to perform direct observations on male donors as needed, which ends up being a few times a week. Most of the time, I'm not at all attracted to the person of having to watch pee into a cup. Then yesterday happened. A coworker called me in to take over a urine collection since the donor required a direct observation. I remained as professional as I could as I took in how hot he was. When we got into the bathroom for the observation slash collection, he pulled out the biggest white dick I have ever seen. I stayed calm, continued my collection, completed the collection, and then dismissed him. The second he walked out the door, I opened Grinder, praying he was gay. There he was, and after a brief pause to question my ethics, I messaged him. Cut ahead of it, we're mutually attracted. He's only in the area for a couple months with his job and will have to return for drug tests throughout his time here. We agreed to meet up sometime next week, but he also thinks it would be hot to pull around when he next has to come in for a drug test. I'm fine meeting up outside work, but question pulling around at work. We could logistically make hooking up happen at the office without anyone immediately finding out, and I know his urine won't be compromised. But if something went south, this could easily put me in a difficult situation, not to mention it is unethical. I wouldn't lose my job over this because my family owns the business, 
but there are plenty of other potentially bad situations. I should also mention this has been a fantasy of mine since I started doing direct observations, but never imagined I would get the opportunity. And like I said, he has the biggest dick for a white guy I've ever seen. What do you think, Dan? Should I blow him at work or just at his hotel? Well, congratulations on this long-held fantasy finally coming true and observing guys filling cups with urine. Nice work if you can get it, and you can get it through your family connections. Uh, but you don't want to screw up the job that you've got. You don't want to freak out or upset your parents. Uh, you don't want to potentially cost uh, your family's company clients. Uh, there's not a direct employee-employer relationship here. Your parents' company is contracted to do work for and with people who work for other companies. Uh, there's a conflict of interest, and perhaps your impartiality could be compromised, knowing that you two had a romantic connection or even just a hookup connection might call into doubt the validity of the P-test that you administered because if you guys have a relationship outside of work uh, and he is using drugs, maybe you would, to keep the dick coming, swap out clean urine for him to do him a favor and keep that giant old dick in your mouth. But you're not going to do that. What you're going to do is you're going to go to his hotel room and you're going to blow him and enjoy him uh, and he's going to enjoy you and enjoy those blowjobs. And then at work, you are not going to blow him. You're going to keep it professional but tense. A lot of erotic tension. You're going to enjoy the erotic tension at work while you are supervising his pee tests. Congratulations. Enjoy. It's been a week. Time's a-wasting. He's only in town for two months. Go get that dick. Hi, Dan. My name's Katie. I'm 24-year-old female, straight, I guess. I have a problem. I've been dating this guy for like five years now, on and off, majority on. I really love him. He's like my best friend, one of the coolest casts around, you know. We get along great. We hardly ever fight. But I'm a nanny, so I'm at these people's houses probably like 40 hours a week. Um, some days like 12 hours and there is this new guy around who is like fixing things on their house and stuff. He's this beautiful Swedish guy and he's made moves while we've like been out drinking before and I'm like kind of guiltily into it. I don't know what to do because I feel so shitty. Um... I'm so shitty because I leave work and go home to my boyfriend and who I love. Like, I almost want to ask him for an open relationship, but I just seem like that's not right for him. Like, he wouldn't like that, you know? I'd be hurting him. I don't know if I'm young and should just be exploring and fucking this Swedish guy because I really want to. I don't really know what to do about it. I don't know if I should break up with this guy and go explore... And if it works out, I'll come back to him in the end, you know? Who knows? You're already fucking the Swedish guy in your heart. And you're referring, as one of the tech savvy at-risk youth pointed out, referring to your boyfriend of five years as this guy over and over again. Like this guy on the bus that you don't know from Adam. This guy at the bar who was annoying the shit out of you. This guy that they just hired at your workplace that you don't like very much. You're just this distancing of your boyfriend already. I think that's a pretty good indication, clear indication that you're done with your boyfriend. Maybe you think of him as a security blanket. You've been with him since you were 19 years old. You live together, extricating yourself from this relationship that I'm sure a large part of your adult identity, since you've been with him your almost your entire adult life, since you were 
19, almost 18, is wrapped up in this relationship and who you are as a couple. And extricating yourself from that is going to be a trial. But you're either going to cheat on your boyfriend and very likely get caught and blow the relationship up if your boyfriend doesn't appreciate being cheated on and that's not something he can get past. Or you're going to march in there and ask for the open relationship and be an honest girlfriend who wants to fuck the Swedish candy man who's working at the house where she's the nanny. And very likely the relationship will blow up because your boyfriend, your best guess, and you know him a lot better than I, doesn't want to be in an open relationship. I think you should go ask the boyfriend for an open relationship. You don't mention the boyfriend's age, but if he is of similar age, if you guys have both been together since before you could legally purchase alcohol, maybe he's ready to transition out of this relationship too. Maybe he's got a wandering arm. Maybe he's already fucked his iteration of the Swedish handy person that he's run across. You never know. But if he's open to openness, if an open relationship is something that he would like, you may get everything you want in the end, which is the security blanket boyfriend that you've been with all of your adult life and the free pass to go Bone the Swedish handyman. You can have it all, potentially. And if you can't have it all, you can have something else. You can have your freedom. You can have some time to get out there and explore, to go out there and meet guys while you're young and single and have a life. And you can circle back then to the boyfriend if he's willing to wait or is single when you're done with your explorations. Or Yahtzee, Yahtzee, you might... When you might get the pass, get the open relationship, keep the boyfriend, fuck the Swedish handyman, but you don't know until you ask. So I think you should definitely play it straight, be honest, go in there and ask. Hi, Dan and all. I'm a male poly open, also monogamish person who's two years out-ish of uh, an open relationship where my partner sided with the side piece. So I got dumped and lost the dog apartment and uh, everything that goes along with that. Uh, I've moved cities since and have begun a new life. I have existing trauma, I guess, still from her. Yes, I am one of the rare statistics of uh, a female partner physically abusing the male partner and then taking the dog and ending the blah, 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 blah. But anyways, I started seeing somebody in this new city that I am living in and it's not serious at, uh, yet, but uh, it it seems like very compatible and really nice. But uh, she just divulged that she is in this sort of poly scenario, and uh, the male in this poly scenario just recently told her that he loved her uh, and then she told me this and then I was kind of thinking I should just back out because this seems very messy because of my uh, pre-existing like issues with those sorts of complications. The problem is I, I really like this person it seems like it could be very nice, but I just like really fear getting.
getting involved in any sort of that drama. But maybe I should just like give her the benefit of the doubt. Know that she's know she knows what she's doing, uh, and that the other couple knows what they're doing. Just kind of wondering what you might think about that. So, to recap, you got your heart stomped pretty badly in a poly relationship. Uh, an abusive poly relationship. Yeah, previously. And men do suffer yeah. uh, physical abuse, emotional abuse. Men can be on the receiving end of abuse in abusive relationships. And sometimes that's hard for men to talk about. So credit to you for talking about it uh, because of the stigma uh, around male victims uh, of abuse. So I hope you're talking to a therapist. I hope you've gotten some counseling and I hope you're in a good place and you've asked for help from someone besides just the faggot with the podcast. <laughs> Yeah, that's happened. Okay, good. Yeah, uh, yeah, I was, I was seeing a lot of people. Okay, I'm glad to hear it. Okay, now getting to your issue, the, the problem here, you got your heart stomped pretty badly in a polyamorous relationship, and along comes a girl in a new city, and you discover you're interested in her, and you discover she's in a polyamorous relationship, and you're a little shy, you're you're a little gun shy or fun shy uh, about getting involved with her because you just had a really bad experience in a polyamorous relationship. And often it's helpful in situations like this to reverse the script, to flip the script. If you'd gotten your heart stopped, someone, not you, someone else, you met someone who said, oh, I just got my heart stopped in a monogamous relationship. So from here on out, it's polyamory for me because that'll protect me from getting my heart stopped. It's like, yeah, you would tell them that you can get your heart stopped in a polyamorous relationship too, right? Yeah. So it's a little bit of an irrational leap to conclude because you got your heart stopped in a poly relationship that the fact that this girl's in a poly relationship, when you describe yourself as poly, is a red flag or a reason to run from her. You're, you're, you're leaping to the conclusion that you're likelier to get your heart stomped again. And you might get your heart stomped again. Getting your heart stomped is always a risk. Polyamorous relationship model, monogamous relationship model, it's always a risk. And you can't avoid that risk by avoiding people in particular circumstances. I just think it's, it just seems like a little bit like that's a, that's a little, there's already like a weird sort of consequence or like there's already a weird sort of element that's creeping in. That's that I mean, could potentially, it was just the fact that this guy had like told her that he was in love with her and like he, you know, that, that like, she's not his primary partner. Mm-hmm. And it seems like that's sort of messy. And then I just don't want any sort of messiness to creep my way when I'm just trying to get away from old messiness. Right. So I know a lot of people in polyamorous relationships who do say I love you to their secondary partners. Is the kind of polyamorous relationship you want to have not actually quite so poly that maybe an open relationship with regular, very special guest stars as opposed to ongoing romantic uh, partners where there may be uh, some commitment yeah, or love so. expressed, maybe that you'd be more comfortable with that. So maybe it's poly you need to be moving away from, not necessarily openness, because if you know yourself incapable of being able to honor a monogamous commitment or monogamy would make you happy, and you know you being unhappy in a monogamous relationship would make your partner that you made a monogamous commitment to an ill-advised one miserable, then don't make a monogamous commitment. But there's a way stop in between, you know, having three partners and everybody saying I love you to each other uh, and monogamy, and that is. A primary couple, love is only for us. I love yous are only for each other, but we still can fuck other people. We can have a friend with benefits, but we can't have a love interest with benefits for for my emotional security. You can frame it that way. Is that too possessive? I don't think that's too possessive. 
you know, what works for you works for you. And if, you know, the thing about having insecurities right. in a monogamous relationship or an open relationship or a polyamorous uh, multi-partner relationship is putting your insecurities on the table and asking for reasonable accommodations, uh, scrutinizing your own insecurities to make sure they're not manipulative, emotionally abusive weapons that you've disguised as insecurities and you're not attempting to, you know, in an abusive way, control your partner by being a, a weepy bag of slop, right? You, you got to be able to stand on your mm-hmm. own feet. You got to have your shit together. You got to be in good working order. But to say to a partner, well, this I'm comfortable with and this I, I'm just not com- This just isn't for me because I know that emotionally I don't function well in a relationship where the person I love is in love with someone else. And so the relationship I want is a, a partnership, you know, a primary couple and the freedom to see other people, the freedom to have three ways, the freedom to have one-offs or to have a, you know, a regular third, but who isn't your lover and who you don't say I love you to and I don't say I love you to mine. And so long as that's all on the table, you know, all relationships are opt-in. If that's unacceptable to someone that you're dating or considering dating, then they can walk away. And if, right. and if the relationship she's in is unacceptable to you, you're free to walk away. Yeah, it's, it's kind of funny because, I mean, she is in that position. Like, she's free to walk away from her whole deal. And, like, who knows if there's ever going to if, – if this would, uh, you know, become a, a primary, like, partnership between her and I anyways. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's so far away from anything that it seems so hypothetical, actually. If this is where you are, if what I just unpacked – fits if it feels right you have to stop calling yourself polyamorous what does polyamory mean many loves oh yeah definitely and if you're not down with you know multiple loves concurrently sharing one another polyamory you shouldn't call yourself polyamorous that's uh, not truth in advertising uh, on your part you're you you want an open relationship very true not a polyamorous relationship yeah. i'll uh, amend that you know there are people out there who are also who condemn labels and we shouldn't have to labels but you know what the more accurately you label yourself the likelier someone is to pick you off the shelf who wants exactly what you want and exactly what you are you know what i mean oh yeah totally yeah so off with the poly label Definitely. on with the open r label and good luck in the future and, and, and you know you can say to this girl that, that you're interested in who someone else is in love with her you can say, you know, the more I've thought about this and the trauma of the last year, uh, my the relationship I just got out of, I just realized that it's not polyamory I want. And so this is what I want. And if that's not what you want, we're not compatible. Uh, maybe we're compatible sexually. Maybe we're compatible as friends, but not romantically compatible. And we should then part ways uh, with it before it gets ugly and, and think of each other you know, with some regret but with affection and be buds and not be lovers. And then see what she says. Yeah. That, yeah, that's great advice. Good luck, man. Okay, thanks so much. Hi, I'm calling with a question about the word demisexual. Is this a real thing? I'm just learning about this. And I trust you, Dan, to tell me about stuff like this before I read about it in social media. Because I'm older. And I listen to your show and I hope you keep me hip so anyway is it a real thing is it like something psychiatrists psychologists qualify as a real thing and if so what does it mean and what are the ramifications demisexual demisexuality 
It's a real thing. I'm not sure if psychologists and doctors have all embraced it, but quoting from the Asexuality, Visibility, and Education Network's website, a demisexual is a person who does not experience sexual attraction unless they form a strong emotional connection with someone, according to one hypothetical model, a person who identifies as a demisexual does not experience primary sexual attraction but does experience secondary sexual attraction. In this model, primary sexual attraction is based on outward qualities such as a person's looks, clothes, or personality, while secondary sexual attraction is attraction stemming from a connection, usually romantic, blah, 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 blah. So that's a real thing. It's a thing we didn't used to have a label for. We just would look at some people who were gay, straight, or bi and say, well, that person isn't into someone, can't be intimate or sexual with someone, isn't really even that attracted to someone until they really get to know them. And that was a long List of syllables. That was a whole sentence. That was a couple of paragraphs, a couple of subclauses for me to describe it that way. And somebody came up with the demisexual label to sort of collapse that. As I recently wrote in Savage Love, I have been talking about demisexuality. I didn't let you down. Somehow you missed this. We used to call people who needed to feel a strong emotional bond before wanting to fuck someone people who needed to feel a strong emotional bond before wanting to fuck someone. But... Some people concluded that a seven-syllable clinical-sounding term that prospective partners need to Google, demisexuality, is obviously far superior to a short explanatory sentence that doesn't require internet access to understand. So, demisexuality, totes real. And also, not a new thing. Demisexuals have always been with us, and you just got to Google it once, usually, before it sticks in your head forever. Hi, Dan. I am a 21-year-old straight female uh, from, from the West Coast. I'm looking for some advice. Um, I've been seeing this guy. I really like him. We've hooked up a number of times and gotten really close to having Mm -hmm. sex. And um, at the point at which we are about to have sex, he can't get it up or maintain an erection. So my question for you is, how do I bring up uh, in a conversation this topic and make sure that I'm doing everything possible to make him feel comfortable while also just maintaining my needs and making sure that I'm having my voice heard. It might help if you started here. You can still have sex and you can still be sexual and intimate and have a gratifying, rewarding sexual experience without his dick ever getting hard. He can eat your pussy. You can finger bang. You can do fantasy play. You can fist fucking fuck. His forearm is always hard. And if you pivot to that, not, oh, there's no erection, therefore there's no sex, therefore this has collapsed. If you pivot to there are lots of ways that we can still have fun and be sexual, even if right now, for whatever reason, and hopefully when you have this conversation, you can address those reasons, you can bring up what his issues might be. But for right now, for whatever reason, your dick's getting scared off. Usually it's a performance anxiety thing. Usually it's about expectations. You expect him to have an erection and he gets self-conscious about that expectation. He knows The success or failure of the night hinges on his ability to get an erection and his erection disappears on him because he's not in the moment. He's not enjoying your erotic connection. He's not enjoying the experience. He's stressing out about the stakes. So take the stress out. Lower the stakes. Let him know that there are lots of ways to get you off that don't require dick. That's one way you would like to get off and hopefully you guys will get there. But if he's not hard, let's do something else. Let's roll around. Let's do X, Y, and Z. Let's masturbate together. Whatever. And you'll find often when you take the pressure off the dick, the dick suddenly appears hard and before you and ready to go. One practical note, 
sometimes people get hung up on this, look, ma, no hands, I'm having partnered sex, therefore I am not allowed to touch myself or I'm not supposed to touch myself or if that other person, when they're with me, touches themselves, that means I'm not turning them on or I'm doing it wrong. Encourage him to touch himself. Some guys who begin to lose their erection during intercourse or before just need to take their dick into their own hands for a moment, give themselves a few strokes, and then they're ready to go again. And if this guy is hung up on that or worries that you're hung up on it, he may have had an experience in the past where he knows that if his erection begins to flag, all he needs to do is pull out and stroke for a few minutes and it's back. He may have had an experience in the past where a previous sex partner blew up at him for that and made him incredibly self-conscious about that by making it all about her, making it all about, oh, you're not attracted enough to me. If you were really attracted to me, your dick would be rock fucking hard. You wouldn't need to stroke yourself. And he may be worried that you would have the same reaction. Assure him that you will not. That you don't regard him using his own hand as a problem during sex any more than it would be a problem for you to use your own hands on yourself, on your clitoris, during sex. Not a problem in either direction. That's just a practical, simple thing that you can toss out there that for a lot of people solves this problem. Because when I've drilled down on this with guys, sometimes with couples, this comes up. That it'll be fine if I could stroke myself for a second, but she has a meltdown. If I do that and I turn to her and I say, stop fucking having a meltdown when you do that. Watch some gay porn. I assign this a lot. Watch some fucking gay porn. You see it a lot in gay porn. Just as I've said in the past to straight couples, to women, watch gay porn and you will see that the bottom, the person getting fucked is playing with his giant clit, which is what a dick is. Boys, it's just a giant clit while he's getting fucked and climaxing sometimes simultaneously, not by magic, but by manipulation. Of his giant clit. So play with your clit while you're getting fucked. You're likelier than to climax with some clitoral stimulation. If the guy has a problem about that, fuck that guy. He needs to get better at sex, more educated about how women's bodies work and no time like the present. Same thing here in a way. If you watch a lot of gay porn, you will see guys pull out, stroke, dive back in or stroke themselves before diving in. And it's just not a problem. It's not something that gay men are hung up on in the same way that so many straight couples or straight people seem to be. That you're not allowed to touch your own genitals when you're having partnered sex because that means somebody's failing. No, 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 no. Everything you need to know about sex, you can learn watching gay porn. Hi, I'm a straight female and I'm calling regarding a past relationship that ended a year ago. It was originally, um, I met him through his mother uh, who was a co-worker with me and uh he, she really wanted me to meet his son. He is, um, I believe he was 27 whenever we um, started talking and I was 19. And I guess she thought that I was very mature for my age and um, really wanted me to help him get over his ex relationship that he had. And it went well for two months. Then all of a sudden he just stopped texting me out of the blue. Um, I'm not, I guess, quite over it since I do see him since we live in the same town, small town, but I am, I guess my question would be what reasons would he have to have just stopped texting me out of the blue? Everything was normal. I don't have a reason. I never saw anything that drew him away, but I do know that now he is back together with his ex-girlfriend and now he is engaged to her so I'm just wanting I guess some reasons for closure or just reasons that he might have stopped talking to me um, out of the blue you don't see any reason you don't see anything out there that might have drawn him away from you and in your next breath he's back with his ex and now they're engaged 
The thing that drew him away from you was the relationship with his ex. He wanted to get back together with his ex. There's your closure. There's your reason. Wasn't that hard to unpack? I didn't have to do a deep dive. I didn't have to depose everyone to get to the bottom of this. I didn't have to Perry Mason this shit or Columbo this shit. A couple of 50 and 60 year old pop culture references for the kids. It was right there in your call. And I'm not trying to be cruel. It's just that some people ghost because some people are cowards and that's very frustrating and people shouldn't ghost. They should give you an explanation. Often the explanations people give in order to be kind aren't necessarily truthful. People will say it's not you. It's me when it's you and you just have to accept that you've been dumped. You've just been dumped. You've been dumped. You, he dumped you for his ex. He wanted to get back together with his ex and you got dumped. So you were 19 when you met him. You only went out for a couple of months. Think about the adults in your life. Think about the people that you know in their 30s and their 40s and think about their relationships, the partnered people you know in their 30s and 40s. And ask yourself how many of them are with people that they met or were dating when they were 19. And the answer is usually none. So this thing that happened to you, as painful as it might be, and it always sucks to be on the receiving end of a cowardly ghosting, isn't a world historical tragedy. And yeah, you're on a ledge when you get dumped, but it's a ledge that most people have been on and most people have talked themselves off of pretty quickly after grieving it. If you're still rending your garments and wondering what happened a year later, you're kind of grieving wrong. You're kind of clinging to this relationship in an unhealthy way. And the closure you seek is as simple as letting this fucking go. If you let it go, it'll slam closed. But you have to let it go. That's a conscious decision, a choice that you have to make for your own sanity. You have to tell yourself what is obvious and was obvious to me and everybody else who heard your call. Left me for his ex and it's over. And I'm a good and decent, lovable, lovely person and I will meet someone else just as most people do because, again, most people, 30s, 40s who are partnered are not with the people that they were dating at 19. So stop attaching so much importance to this brief relationship. Stop obsessing about its end. Give yourself the closure that you've convinced yourself only he can give you. You can give it to yourself by letting it go. Let it go and it will slam shut and you will have your closure. Hey, Dan. I'm a 29-year-old from um, Florida. So I was in a relationship with my husband for about 10 years. We got married about a year and a half ago. Probably shouldn't have gotten married because, you know, things were kind of not doing great. But I don't know. I think we just went through with it because we'd like sent out the invitations and everything like that. When I came home from vacation not too long ago, I realized that he was having an affair for a few weeks or a few months, I'm not sure, and that he wasn't attracted to me anymore and wanted to break up. So obviously, I was really sad and upset, but at the same time, kind of saw it coming. So of course, I went on Tinder. Well, the first Tinder date I go on actually went really well. I saw him a second time, and the second time, he ended up like driving me home, and we ended up uh, having sex, um, which was really good. And he spent the night. We had sex again in the morning, which, you know, was pretty cool. Then he uh, went home, told me to text him later. We kind of had loose plans to maybe do something that day, but not anything firm. So I texted him later 
like, hey, what's up? And I don't hear anything. And I still haven't heard anything. So I'm like 99% sure I'm being ghosted. And that's really fucked up. Why do people do that? Maybe it's my own fault. I guess it is. Like, I probably shouldn't have sex with people so soon because I guess, like, this is something that's upsetting to me. And, like, I don't know. Like, what did I do? Is it because I, like, put out too early? I I don't know. Maybe I'm bad in bed. I haven't had sex with anyone else for, like, 10 years. I don't know. I, I just I just need answers. Maybe you're bad in bed. Maybe you have halitosis. Maybe you have 15 cats and he doesn't like cats. Maybe you were wearing a MAGA hat. Uh, my ass got eight hat ironically and he didn't pick up on the sarcasm or irony i don't know what the issue was you don't know what the issue was you will never know what the issue is if indeed this guy has ghosted you maybe he lost his phone and he's busily trying to reassemble his contacts maybe there was a crisis at work maybe he's a fucking jerk who only wanted one thing from you told you whatever you needed to hear to get it and now that he got it and he's gone he blocked your number and never intends to talk to you again these are mysteries that cannot be solved. Like, what was up with that guy? We will never know. You have to, in a situation like this, instead of shredding yourself, oh, I'm bad and bad, oh, I have halitosis, oh, my MAGA hat was misinterpreted, you just have to tell yourself, that dude was an asshole. And don't attach too much importance to your actions in this circumstance. There are lots of people out there in long-term, lasting, loving relationships, straight and gay, same-sex and opposite-sex couples, that had one-night stands as the start, that had very sleazy beginnings. You can't conclude that that was the fatal error. And if it was, let's think this through. If this guy who had sex with you thought so little of you for having sex with him so soon that he took the fuck off, that he ghosted on you, well, he was not the good and decent guy that you took him for when you decided to fuck him. He was an asshole. You accidentally fucked an asshole and he revealed himself to be an asshole in the wake of that fucking by ghosting you in a way that made you feel perhaps impulse shamed, if not slut shamed. So why are you bringing your hands to this guy is out of your life? If that's who his actions revealed him to be kind of an asshole, good thing he's out of your life. Fucking him quickly. If that's the reason he bolted, removed him from your life quickly and if that's the reason he's bolted he's an asshole and you wanted him out so you got some good sex and this guy revealed himself to be an asshole and he's gone woohoo your vagina it's a sorting hat he's in slytherin you don't have to think about him anymore ever again stop stressing about it you got ghosted it sucks it hurts i get it don't don't allow this experience to warp the choices you make for the rest of your life going forward don't become superstitious i fucked somebody and they disappeared therefore I'm not going to fuck somebody for a very long time next time. Well, you could not fuck somebody for a very long time next time and wind up married for 10 years to somebody that you didn't really like very much who cheated on you. You just can't game it out that way. You have to do what's right, what feels right to you in the moment. And you never know because you can't control other people and you cannot read their minds. And I cannot depose them, which is what it would take to get you the answers that you seek as much as I would love to depose them. So you just have to will yourself to get the fuck over them and move the fuck on. Hi, Dan. Went to the Hump Festival last uh, last year for the very first time and uh, loved it. Had a great time. Very eye-opening. Saw a lot of sort of a diverse uh, sex lives that I'd never seen uh, or witnessed before. Uh, here's my question. 
I've been with my girlfriend for about a year and a half, and I suppose it's relevant to say that she says she has never seen porn before in her entire life, which I was uh, sort of blown away by when I first heard that. And she doesn't really have an interest in going to the Hump Festival. So is this something I should just sort of give up on and go with my friends and have a good time? I think it'd be really cool if we went, sort of, we could, you know, talk about things, and I just think it could sort of broaden both of our horizons. I might have made a mistake last year by uh, sort of running home and telling her about a certain skit involving a stick of butter. So I'll, that's all I'll say about that. Don't want to spoil it. But is this something I should just give up on? Or is there any way I could, uh, you know, encourage her to go and, and sort of explain that this can be kind of a, a sex positive, different kind of porn than you would see, you know, what's typical online? Uh, or is this something I should just, you know, leave it be and go with, go with some other friends and, uh, and have a good time? Hump isn't for everyone. People who saw Hump 2017, which is still touring the country, even as Hump 2017-2018 is about to open in Seattle and Portland, now know that there are new and novel ways to butter your toast. That said, I've had this experience at Hump numerous times hosting it where someone has come up to me after a screening and said, I hate porn. I don't like porn. My friends dragged me here. I loved Hump. In one case, a woman who approached me and said that I hate pornography. My friends convinced me to come. I was sure I was going to hate this porn festival, but I loved it. In one case, that person who said that very thing to me made a video for the following year's hump, went from hating porn, reluctantly dragged to a porn festival to being in the porn festival next year. Tits and all everything and all actually, if I remember correctly. So because of her and others like her, I've said that hump for many people is the porn festival that people who hate porn love. That may not be the case with your girlfriend, though. She knows her own tastes, her own limits. She knows what she's comfortable with, what she's not comfortable with. And you can't drag someone to a porn festival who doesn't want to be at a porn festival. If your girlfriend's listening, I will say this, all the films are five minutes or less. If there's something on the screen that is not to your taste, that you don't want to witness, that you are not enjoying, you can close your eyes. And in a minute or two, it will be over. You're not trapped in some Angels in America nine-hour porn cycle play. I promise. And there's erotica in Hump where nothing graphic is happening, and there are comedy shorts in Hump, and there's animation in Hump. There's just lots of different approaches to erotica and pornography in Hump. Not all of it hardcore, not all of it orifice-focused and orifice-pounding and driven. But not necessarily for everyone. In my experience, though, people who are uncomfortable with porn kind of come to Hump and find something to enjoy about it. Maybe they're just Jane Goodalling their way through Hump and watching the primates and making notes and taking it in in a clinical way. And maybe the, your girlfriend, if she's listening, maybe you would enjoy it for that aspect. But you might want to give it a shot just once because you never know. You might be that woman who hated Hump, didn't want to come, didn't want to see the porn, and next year loves Hump and is in the porn. Hi, Dan. I'm a straight, white, heterosexual cis woman, age 25, in rural Pennsylvania. I have a question about the line between role-playing kink and fetishizing. My fiancé and I overall have very vanilla sex, uh, generally PIV, maybe pecking or bondage, but uh, very rarely, but a few times in our the year five years we've been together. We've enjoyed role-playing, which I wear a pseudo-Japanese schoolgirl outfit and call him senpai while my fiancé fucks me. I want to stress that neither my partner nor I are attracted to actual school children, school children of any race or ethnicity. But we are both lifelong fans of Japanese culture, especially anime. We've watched since we were kids and through our teenage years, so it has no doubt been a part of each of our sexual developments. 
Is this simply a kink for weeaboos, or is it a form of fetishizing the submissive Japanese girl stereotype? I've seen some Japanese schoolgirl porn where the Japanese schoolgirl was the dominatrix who's beating the shit out of someone and was in no way submissive, although the style of clothing, the Japanese schoolgirl clothing, may have telegraphed that, and perhaps it was a tension between what she was wearing and what she was doing that fueled what was so wrong and transgressive and sexy and hot for some about this pornography. Is what you're doing okay? A lot of people on Tumblr are going to tell you that it's not okay, but you're not having sex with those people on Tumblr. You're having sex in private with your partner, and you can dress up as anyone you care to dress up as. You can fantasize about anything you care to fantasize about, and other people that you are not having sex with do not have a right to shut down or critique or burst into your bedroom and arrest you for enjoying your fantasies and enjoying the sex life that you've created with your partner. Full fucking stop. That said, I think we are obligated to be thoughtful about what turns us on and why. That doesn't mean that the things that turn us on, once we understand what and why, are going to stop turning us on. We want to carefully compartmentalize those things, though, that are potentially toxic to our, ourselves, to others, to the culture. For example, and I'll use a gay example to bring this close to home for me, there are a lot of gay guys out there who like to be called faggot when they're getting fucked, who like that kind of abusive, degrading hate speech incorporated into consensual sex with someone that they like, maybe even someone that they love. And I've told those guys who wrestle with that, that so long as there's a firewall between this sex play, between this eroticized degradation, between the fears, and really it's fear that has been transformed by the erotic imagination into a kink because these words you know when you're 13 14 15 years old you live in terror of having them hurled at you and then when you're 30 years old and you're completely over it and you love your gay life it can get the adrenaline pumping to hear those words again used in a degrading way by someone who likes you or respects you or someone you wish to call you that as opposed to the person you lived in terror of calling you that when you were 15 fucking years old so long as there's a firewall between your self-esteem and this play, and it doesn't bleed out, and you don't regard yourself as in any way inferior, and you don't treat other people who are gay as inferior, not a problem. I think the same applies in this circumstance. Perhaps part of what turns you on about this image, this icon, the Japanese schoolgirl, not about the minor thing, but about maybe the cultural stereotype around Asian women being submissive, maybe that's what turns you on. So long as you build a firewall between that cultural bullshit, that lie about Japanese women and girls, and your attitude toward Japanese people, Japanese women and girls, all to the good. Build that firewall. Construct that firewall. You need to be in dialogue with your erotic imagination and say, yeah, I get why that turns you on and why the, I get why that turns you on. But what's at the root of why that turns you on? is a lie, is a stereotype, is a damaging stereotype. So we're going to build a firewall around it. We're going to contain it just in the bedroom. We're not going to let it bleed out. And we're going to scrutinize and interrogate ourselves to make sure it doesn't bleed out into the way we treat other people who may be Japanese schoolgirls or Japanese women or Japanese men or other gay men if you're one of those gay guys who gets off and be called a faggot. And with that scrutiny and that self-interrogation comes the responsibility to be vigilant to walk the guardrails at the top of that firewall that you built between the shit that your erotic imagination seized on and transubstantiated into kinks and turn-ons and the way you treat other people and the way you view other people and the assumptions you make about other people. Police that vigorously. That is your responsibility. 
But swearing off something that turns you on because someone that you're not having sex with somewhere, if they found out about it, might be offended. Yeah, no, fuck that. Hi, Dan. I'm a 40-year-old woman in an open relationship for about six months with a man who is married, also in an open relationship. I've met his wife, and she is supportive of our relationship. Uh, She doesn't have any other partners currently, neither does he. And I am really in love with this guy, but I've been struggling a bit with the fact that I'm single and he is very busy with family commitments as he has children. And so sometimes I get lonely and a bit resentful of the situation, but he's always been really supportive and tries really hard to make me happy despite the limited time we can spend together. We try to talk on the phone almost every day and we have a date night once a week. No fail. And overall, we have a very good relationship and I don't want to lose him. We've built up a lot of trust to the point where we have stopped using condoms since the three of us, he and his wife and I, form a closed loop in terms of sexual relationships. Everybody feels safe. Recently, though, I met a new man who's also in an open marriage and I really like him. We haven't had sex yet, but we both really want to. His situation is he and his wife were high school sweethearts and they were monogamous for many years, but about six years ago, they opened their relationship. They have each only had a handful of partners and they always use condoms with other partners, but not with each other. I've asked a new guy to get screened for STIs, which he did willingly. I haven't met his wife yet, but we were both completely open to meeting and she currently has one other partner who she's been with for just a few months. They haven't made it a policy in the past to ask their new partners for STI screening prior to engaging in sexual relationships as they've assumed, as have I, that using condoms mitigates most of the risk of serious STIs like HIV. My current partner and his wife don't agree. They would only feel comfortable if they knew that my new partner's wife and her other partner were tested and wouldn't take on any new partners without telling us. So this means that if I don't insist on getting the cooperation of these other people who I don't yet have a relationship with, that me choosing to have sex with my new man means I can no longer have sex with my current partner the way we have been, and maybe not at all. Dan, while I want to respect their boundaries, I also think that they're being a little bit unreasonable and are way overestimating the risks here. I don't want to give up my sexual relationship with my partner, but I also don't like the restrictions being placed on my sex life. I think that if my new partner has screened negative for STIs and we use condoms, that my current partner and his wife would be at minimal risk. They are concerned about oral sex too, and I don't really want to use barriers for that because I really enjoy it and I want to continue having as part of my sex life with both partners. Is this an untenable situation? Do I have to choose between these men? Is there some obvious solution or middle ground that I'm missing here? Thanks for your help. What your partner, the guy you've been seeing until you met this new guy and his wife are demanding is completely unreasonable. It is unreasonable. As you say, it overestimates the risk. It requires you to make demands upon strangers or on people you haven't met to assuage the unreasonable demands of people they haven't met. It puts you in an untenable position. So what we have here are two prices of admission, but only one payment can be made. They either will have to pay the price of admission and get comfortable with perhaps a little bit more theoretical risk than they've been comfortable with in the past, or you're going to have to march in to your prospective new boyfriend's house and demand that his wife and the guy that she's been seeing get tests to alleviate the fears and irrational insecurities of these strangers who may have thrown this out there, this unreasonable demand, not because they hoped that it would be met, but because they hoped it wouldn't be met. Because this closed loop you've been in up to this point with this couple Maybe their preferred scenario. 
where everyone's fluid bonded and there's no additional partners and therefore no additional risk. And they threw this out. Well, okay. In fairness, of course, we have other, I, you know, I have two partners. So if you want to have another partner, you can have another partner, but only after you bring me the head of Medusa. When someone gives you their permission conditioned upon something that is unreasonable or impossible, what they're saying is I am not giving you my permission or I don't wish to give you my permission, but I don't want to out myself as the unreasonable one. So I'm going to make an unreasonable demand that cannot be met. You have to ask yourself because you can't control your partner and his wife. You have to ask yourself whether this is the price of admission you're willing to pay to continue to be in a relationship with them, cueing to their unreasonable demands and catering to their irrational overstated, overhyped fear of sexually transmitted infections, or perhaps their completely rational manipulative strategy that weaponizes the claim of a fear about sexually transmitted infections in order to control you. Is that a price of admission you're willing to pay? If not, then the choice for you really boils down to being in relationship with this new couple who seem reasonable and rational or remaining in a relationship with the couple you've been in a relationship with for a while who seem unreasonable and irrational choice in a circumstance like that seems obvious to me hi dan i am a 51 year old straight man in the northeast separated three years divorce is underway i've got two kids and equal custody i decided after separation that i uh was not going to jump into serial monogamy again which was the story of my entire life until that point and i've never dated really before i spent my whole life married so i started seeing women basically immediately mostly divorced women in their 40s, usually single moms. And it was great. I decided I, decided I was going to be 100% honest moving forward with this. That was my, my one rule, always honest. Hadn't always been honest in my marriage, and it had hurt things, and that wasn't going to happen again. So it was great, great sex, great conversation, uh, definitely a learning curve because dating is weird, and I'd never done it before, but it was, it was fun. It was great. So uh, I thought I was doing a good job at this, uh, kind of proud of myself, being honest and upfront about everything. And then a woman I was dating left my kitchen in tears because she thought it was going somewhere where I didn't think it was going. And this was kind of stunning to me. I thought I'd been really forthright and had to sit and think about this. So I continued dating. And as I did more of that, I realized this is actually a pattern. There's Yes, I understand, and I'm not looking for a husband, so great. Yeah, let's go out. Then it's, uh, the sex is great, so great. I'm glad it was great. I, I like it being great. And then she wants more sex, and that's great, too. And how about we go do this fun thing? Sure, that sounds great. That's still within not husband material. And then there's this feeling of pressure that starts. And there's conversation during this kind of clarifying what we're doing and what we're not. And I hear, you know, I'm a grown-ass woman. I can decide who I want to spend time with. So, okay. But then there's an ending. And often in tears, sometimes instead of tears, somebody, she'll, she'll pick a fight to end things. So my question is, what do I owe these women and what's right and wrong? I'm inclined to treat everyone like an adult, taking the face value. But then this happens where she gets hurt and then I feel hurt that I've hurt her. But is it maybe smarter to assume this is the pattern and go with that? I had a longtime friend who's dated for a long time who told me on the phone while I was talking about this. He said, ah, the women, they are always playing the long game. And I thought, well, well maybe. But I'm sort of starting to assume that that is the pattern because that's all that's happening. 
And that's severely curtailed my dating. So my question is, how much is it my responsibility to take responsibility for this? What's kind, what's right, and what's smart? You're being completely honest going into these relationships. There's nothing you have to feel guilty about if someone doesn't take you at your word, gets their hopes up, and then has a sad or gets hurt or has a a, a, a bit of a sob because they hoped for what you weren't ever promising to give them. They hope that it might be a possibility that maybe even though you said at the beginning of the relationship you were looking for nothing permanent, you don't ever want to be in another relationship or married again, that you would become so infatuated with them that you would make the exception that they would break through your shell and win you. That's on them. And that's not your fault. If it's unpleasant, however, to be on the receiving end of this over and over again, to feel hurt yourself because this woman dashed herself against the rocks of your limits and got hurt, date married women who aren't going to be looking for or expecting as much from you as the women you've been dating up to now. Obviously, we're looking to you for, we're hoping to to get from you. Find your way into the polyamorous community. Find women out there who are married, uh, in open relationships, hopefully open marriages, who are seeking companionship and sex and connection and fun, but aren't seeking a life partner. Sounds like the women you were dating up to now were secretly hoping you might be the life partner that they had been looking for, waiting for. And if you know you can never be that person again, or not right now, not for the next decade, you can opt out of women who might have those expectations by opting out of single women entirely. All right, we're going to take a quick break from the calls to speak with someone who has invented a game that I think will be of interest to Savage Lovecast listeners. Carsey Blanton is a singer, songwriter, sex blogger, and now game inventor. And she joins us via phone from Oakland, California. Hey, Carsey, how are you? Hey, Dan. Thanks for having me. I'm great. Uh, My pleasure. So I know about the game, and you've told me about the game, and I've had the honor already of playing the game because you sent me a prototype and I was so excited about it. I wanted to have you on to talk about it. So tell us about the game. Tell the listeners about the game. I know all about it and I won the first time I played, but you go. Of course you did. (laughs) So the effing truth is a card game uh, and it's a little bit like the game Never Have I Ever, which is sort of a spoken drinking game Mm -hmm. usually. Uh, And it's a little bit like the game Bingo. So each player has their own numbered board and then there's a deck of cards with questions on them. Uh, about sex. So just for an example, there would be a number like 41. Have you ever watched other people have sex? And if you have done that, then you cross off number 41 on your board. If you have it. On and your so board. the idea is if you have it on your board. It's like exactly. bingo in that not every so, number called you, you have on your board. You've got to uh, you know, answer the question or have the right answer or, or and have the number. Exactly. Exactly. Right. So there's a there's a luck element, which is which numbers are on your board. And there's a strategy element, which is how much sex have you had? (laughs) (laughs) Um, And so the idea is you're trying to get five in a row and that determines who is the fuckingest and they're the winner. (laughs) And what do you say when you get all of your sort of bingo style uh, diagonal horizontals (laughs) in a row? Well, actually, I can't talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> you can say whatever you um, want to. You, you can scream say, out the effing truth. You can truth. say whatever you want. You can, you can scream say out. bingo. You can say, I'm 
I'm the fuckingest. That's what I prefer. I'm the fuckingest. I think that's pretty funny. <laughs> uh, so I played the game with uh, my husband and, and a few friends, and we had a really, really good time. And it was uh, crazy to learn some things about even my husband that I didn't know. Oh, I'm so glad. While we were playing this game. <laughs> good. And the, the, the questions I thought were really terrific. And really, you know, you straddle that line with the questions between being titillating without being sort of scandalizing or sex shaming. And credit to your team or you, whoever sat down with you to help uh, draft up all these uh, terrific sex questions and terrific prompts. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, well, I've been working on it for about a year and I've done nine drafts of the deck. And then I play tested it uh, mostly with my band, actually. So I know a lot about my band's sexual history at this point. We played it a couple of times <laughs> and we churned through all the questions. So I imagine this is going to be a bit like Cards Against Humanity, where you'll need to get yeah. additional sets of questions. Or when uh, the effing truth is, is done, there'll be more questions in the initial pack, I hope. That is exactly right. So I'll probably release expansion packs similar to Cards Against Humanity. And then one day I hope to have an app. So that it would just replenish with new questions sort of automatically. It'll update and you get a hundred new questions. <laughs> so you can us, play it endlessly. Tell us about the story questions, because there's a couple of on the sort of yeah. bingo style card with the numbers, there's a few story uh spots and story questions that yeah. qualify you to like mark off those spots. Tell us about the story questions. Yeah. So so my idea with the game was to get people talking about their sexual histories in a fun way that's a little bit competitive, because I think the competitive element gives, gives people an excuse to really get into the details of their sexual history in a way that they might otherwise be embarrassed to mm -hmm. do. So the story questions are just another way to prompt uh, you know, people to be willing to divulge more specific information. So, for example, there's a story question that says, talk about something that turns you on but is embarrassing to admit. Um, and I think it's always interesting to see what people find embarrassing, which is based partly on the group that they're in and the setting. <laughs> and also, it's often a thing that you might not think would be embarrassing, but that person finds it embarrassing. And so, uh, so I like the personal element of that. Important caveat, though, the, the, the story questions are opt-in. You're invited to tell a story. You don't yes. have to tell a story. And while yes. we were playing the game, a couple people got the story question and kind of blushed and then didn't tell the story. So we knew something was up <laughs> that they didn't want to share. And that, that all by itself was pretty hilarious. playing with you. I know. You would <laughs> yeah. think that I had created a safe space, but I guess I failed They'd on think... some level. <laughs> no, I would think you'd already heard everything. <laughs> um, yeah, so the story questions are opt-in, but it's worth saying that like the middle spot on the board is a story question. So if you don't tell any stories, it would be very difficult to win. So strategically speaking, it's much better if you tell a couple of stories. At least one. But yeah, again, they're opt-in. And then as far as the other questions, I really tried to have a mix of like really specific uh, questions such as, have you ever given oral sex to a person with a vagina would be one question. And then I also tried to get in some more like emotional questions. Like, have you ever had sex that was so emotionally intense? You fell in love. <laughs> and so to me, the, the interesting part was trying to get a mix of uh, different approaches to thinking about our sexual histories and experiences. One of the suggestions that uh, came up when my group uh, played the prototype was there should be some blank cards so that the yes. group, people can write their own questions. They can amend the game themselves. So that would totally. be our, our suggestion that we're passing on to you and the F and Truth team. I love it. And actually, I want to mention, since you brought that up, so there's a Kickstarter for the F and Truth right now. 
And one of the rewards for $100, you can get something called the Pink Deck, which is an expansion deck of, of uh, user-submitted questions. So if you pledge to the Kickstarter, then you can also submit questions for this special Kickstarter-exclusive deck. Because the game isn't available yet. You're doing the Kickstarter to, to, uh, to get it off the ground. The game is not available yet. Um, people can find out about the Kickstarter and the game by going to theeffingtruth.com, but it's spelled with just one E, T-H-E-F-I-N-G-T-R-U-T-H.com uh, is your game's website, but also redirects to the Kickstarter. Is that right? That's exactly right. Yep. And it's funding through the end of October. For listeners who aren't familiar with you or, or, or your music, who the hell are you and why are you making up a game now? <laughs> Games weren't your thing. Music and songwriting, that's your thing. Who are you, Carsey Planton? <laughs> Where did you come from? <laughs> that's a great question. Uh, so yeah, my background is music. Uh, I'm a songwriter, so I've been a professional songwriter for the last decade or so. But my music and my songs also have a theme of sexuality and sort of sexual empowerment. Um and so it felt natural to me when I thought of the idea for the game to create a game that's also about, you know, being being honest about our sexuality in a way that can be fun and empowering. So my work, which you can find at carcyblend.com, uh, has similar themes as the game. So I think they pair well together. Well, I'm a fan of your music and now I'm a fan of your new card game, your sort of sex bingo uh, and I would encourage people who are curious about it to check out uh, theeffingtruth.com or go to carcyblanton.com and find your way there. And if not, supporting the Kickstarter once the game is for sale. And again, I'm a fan of the game. I got to play it. Thank you for sending the prototype. I really enjoyed it. And I, I recommend people check out the Kickstarter. And if not, uh, if you don't want to be a Kickstarter supporter, definitely get the game when it becomes commercially available because it's really, really fun. Thank you, Carsey. Thank you, Dan. Thanks so much for having me. My pleasure. Follow Carsey on Twitter at Carsey Blanton. And again, check out the Kickstarter for The Effing Truth. Hi, Dan. I'm a 26-year-old female. I've been with my boyfriend for five years now, like five and a half. The only problem is I think I'm bi, and I didn't really realize this until we were already in a committed relationship. It's something I have struggled with since fifth grade. I found myself more attracted to girls than guys. Um, at I don't know if I'm more fluid though, because at times, like it's not that big of a deal, and then I'll go through like a weeks where it consumes me, and that's all I can think about, and it literally brought me to tears because it's tormenting. We've tried threesomes in the past. I've talked to my boyfriend about it. Quite frankly, I think he's scared that I am a lesbian, so he doesn't want to have threesomes. We tried a threesome when we first met, but he wasn't able to like have sex with the other girl when it came time. I guess my question is, how do I know if I'm bi? And does it matter if I want to marry my boyfriend and he's not into an open or monogamous relationship. If you are a lesbian, preventing you from having three ways isn't going to prevent you from being a lesbian, isn't going to eradicate your lesbianism. So set that aside. Set your boyfriend's objections or strategies aside and ask yourself, will I be content? Will I be happy? in a committed long-term relationship, in a marriage, married to someone who doesn't support 
my sexual orientation, doesn't support my sexual identity, who doesn't support me in having or going for the things that I need to feel sexually fulfilled over the long term. And if the answer is no, and the answer, even if you think it's yes, will in the long run become no, you should marry this guy. You need to go in there and say, look, if you are in love with me, you are in love with someone who is bisexual. You do not get to edit that out. That's not something that you can control or deny me. Then you can have a conversation about monogamy versus non-monogamy. At the very least, he has to support you being who you are, if not physically with another woman, through fantasy with another woman, that this is an aspect of your sexuality and your desire that is going to have to be accommodated, whether that's through fantasy or porn consumption or the occasional three-way, which would, of course, be non-monogamy. It has to be accommodated. He has to love you for who you are and who you are is this bi girl, this woman who now knows herself to be bisexual. And you have to stand your ground. You have to insist on being loved by someone who loves you. You have to insist that this person who says that he loves you loves you for who you are, not for the bonsai tree he wants to turn you into that he can prune and shape. He loves you or he doesn't love you. You're bi. Ask him, do you love me or not love me? Can you love this part of me too? Can you accommodate this part of me? Can you help me be my best and most fulfilled and self-actualized self, which is a bisexual self? If not, then we're not right for each other. There are plenty of straight, 100% straight women in the world that he could date. If he chooses to be with you, he's choosing to be with a woman who's bisexual. And if he doesn't want to be with a woman who's bisexual, if that's not a choice that he wants to make, then... You need to get the fuck out. You need to pull the plug for him. Once again, hate to hammer away at this point all through the episode. 26 years old, you've been with your boyfriend for five and a half years. Ask yourself how many people do you know in their 30s and 40s who are with the people they were with when they were 19 or 18 years old before they could legally buy a beer anywhere in the continental United States. And that number is usually zero or one or two. Maybe this relationship has run its course. Maybe you need the freedom to get out there and explore who you are. And maybe the answer isn't I am bi. Maybe the answer is I am a lesbian. Maybe he's afraid of the truth. Maybe you're not allowing yourself to examine the possibility that you're a lesbian for fear of what that means for your relationship. If you were single, you could examine it without having to factor in another person's emotional investment in you or sexual investment or you or claim on you. Yeah, I think this is something you need to think about and explore single for a while. Doesn't mean you can't get back together with him. Doesn't mean you can't circle back if in a year or two he's single and you're single and you guys want to pick up where you left off. Stranger things have happened. But my advice to you would be to get out there and be in your mid-20s and single. Go eat some pussy. Go date some girls. See how it feels. Find out who you are. Hi, Dan. This is a straight cis girl from California calling. I need some advice about beard burn. I have really sensitive, easily irritated skin, and my boyfriend has really thick and coarse facial hair that gives me terrible beard burn when we make out. My chin first gets red and rashy, and then I actually get scabs on my chin from skin coming off. My boyfriend shaves as often as he can and has also tried growing out his beard and using beard softening oil, but nothing works. We have to make out with my hand held up between our chins. He can't shave too often because he has a history of having really bad acne, so shaving too often makes him break out. 
Within a few hours of shaving, his stubble returns and makes his face feel like literal sandpaper. It's so painful. Maybe he could shave more often if he used a safety razor, which we hear is better for the skin. But I use a safety razor on my legs in private area, and I have to say it does not give a very neat or close shave. Um, Can anyone out there recommend anything? I'm sick of rubbing Neosporin on my chin and putting makeup to cover the scabs. Um, Also, we've been together for six years now, and it's sad not to be able to make out as if we were teenagers again. (laughs) I hope you have some advice for me. I have a a solution that you probably won't want to adopt. Google latex mask fetish, and you will find your way into the latex mask fetish community. You could or you both could wear these crazy tight form-fitting latex masks that just leave your lips exposed when you want to make out. A lot of people out there find it unsexy and it kind of ruins the moment or the mood to get a condom and slip it onto a dick before intercourse. Pulling a couple of tight-fitting latex hoods over your head just because you want to make out. People into latex hoods might find that sexy. People who aren't into latex hoods won't find that process sexy. So you're likely to find that sexy. But that's my only off-the-top-of-my-head solution, kind of unworkable solution to your problem, so kind of not a solution. So we'll toss this out to other listeners who may have faced, literally faced, similar challenges. What did you do to fix this? Or is this one of those things that's just not a fixable problem? One of those things you're just going to have to work around, but you're never going to be able to solve. Listeners, if you have some ideas for this caller, give us a buzz. Hi, I'm calling with a comment for a caller from episode 572, the woman whose partner didn't want to kiss or cuddle or do any foreplay before jumping into BDSM or kinky sex. And obviously the guy is way out of line. And I just wanted to address something that didn't seem like Dan did in, in the call, which was, you sound really hurt, you, the caller. You sound sad and this guy sounds like he's really shaming you and your preferences and, you know, telling you that maybe you should go fuck other women or because, you know, men can't be expected to kiss or cuddle. If you weren't asking for foreplay at the very beginning, maybe it was because you didn't need it, but maybe it was because you were younger, you're six years younger and you didn't know how to ask. And now that you're an older, more self-actualized woman, you know what you deserve and what you need, and he may not have matured in the same way. So I would just encourage you to think about that and to think about what it's like being with someone who makes you feel hurt and sad just because you want to come. Hey, Dan, I'm calling about the Wonder Woman episode and the guy whose girl wanted to tell him through an app uh, when she was horny. My wife and I discovered that uh, we can communicate to each other what we were expecting for the night uh, just through what clothing we're wearing. Usually it's uh, whether we're wearing underwear to bed or not or sleeping in the nude. Nude means go. Underwear means not tonight. But yeah, any sort of nonverbal cue could work. Uh, A particular object placed on the table, a different scarf, different hat. Yeah, there's lots of ways to tell people that you're interested without having to uh, use electronics. Hey, Dan, I'm calling with a comment in regards to the guy whose girlfriend has an app that tracks not only her menstrual cycle, but also her arousal. Uh, While I totally get the caller and you maybe being squicked out a bit by this, I would love this. What app is this? Please tell me where I can get this app. 
And we're going to leave it there. Tickets on sale now in Seattle and Portland and Olympia for the 13th annual Hump Dome Festival. The kickoff of the 13th annual Hump Dome Festival, which will soon be touring the country. Go to humpdomefest.com to get tickets in Seattle, Portland, and Olympia for the brand new, all new, all hilarious, all sexy, all hot. All right, 206-302-2064 is the number here at the Savage Lovecast. If you'd like to record a question or a comment for a future show, give us a buzz, 206-302-2064. Follow me on Twitter at FakeDanSavage. Follow Carsey Blanton on Twitter at Carsey Blanton. The Savage Lovecast is produced every week by Nancy Hartunian and me and the tech savvy at Risk Youth and Nancy. We'll all be back at you next week with another installment of the Savage Lovecast. Thanks for downloading.